This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Hi, my name is Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. I'm the originator of the Zelenko Protocol, which is a pre-hospital treatment for COVID-19. What I believe is going on, that the enemies of humanity have uh, weaponized fear and anxiety in order to effectuate a change in your life, to mold society into the direction that they believe to be correct. And that involves taking away our freedom, and anxiety is the tool through which they enslave us. So I'm here just to give you a simple message. The COVID-19 is highly treatable. There are treatment approaches, as well as prevention, preventive, prophylactic approaches. There's no need to be afraid. Uh, there's plenty of information available, and even over-the-counter options without prescriptions that can save your life. You really don't have any reason to be afraid uh, once you have the right information. The information will set your mind and your soul free, and you don't have to live with paralyzing anxiety. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. Uh, that was the face and the voice of Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, who is joining me right now on the other side. It's a great pleasure, uh, Dr. Zelenko. Thank you for, for Thank being you. here. Thank you so much for having me. You, you posted a video saying that your cancer has returned. Yeah, I have a very rare, actually the rarest form of cancer there is. Um, and there's around 10 cases a year in the world, always found at autopsy. And, and I was diagnosed with it three and a half years ago um, during a, an emergency surgery wh where they thought that I had a blood clot and turned out to be a tumor that killed my right lung uh, in the pulmonary artery. And I had that resected and I went through very uh, difficult chemo, which I had to design myself because there was no treatment available. And that was good for two years. And then uh, I came back last summer. I had another open heart surgery and had my heart valve replaced because of the tumor. And, and then just uh, last week, I found out I came back again, again in the pulmonary artery. And so now I'm working, putting together a, a plan to, to deal with this. But the game is not over. I, I, um, I'm very hopeful and optimistic about the future. Uh, both mine and that of the world. I really believe that my heart is still beating because of the prayers and the positive energy of so many decent people around the world. That's what happened last time. I had millions of people praying. <laughs> and uh, so statistically, naturally, I shouldn't really be talking to you. I should be under the ground. And yet, uh, God has spared me for now. And I ended up... Uh, uh, just a few years after having this type of cancer diagnosed, being the tip of the spear of the worst global crime in the history of humanity. Um, and so part of the reason I was spared is becoming uh, revealed to me, I would say. <laughs> but uh, God's ways are very mysterious. So. If, you get, if you get through it, which I'm hoping you will, uh, you could call it the Zelenko miracle. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, it's already a miracle. Every second of my life and your life is a miracle. And those are things that we don't necessarily uh, focus on or appreciate until uh, our lives are threatened. See, the address between life and death is something very familiar to me. And so when someone lives in that state of being, you realize that I want to say happy birthday to you. And not because I don't... I don't really think it's your biological birthday, but what it is is that every second of existence is a recreation, creation ex nihilo, something from nothing. God is making us in the present tense. And so since we're being made in every nanosecond, that implies a few things, that he knows about us, he cares about us, he wants us to be. And if he wants us to be, then you're never alone. If you're never alone, there's no room for anxiety. Let's, let's go back 18 months or so. Life was somewhat normal, and then suddenly this weird thing happened. So I didn't choose COVID, it chose me. What I mean by that is that I was practicing family medicine in upstate New York in a 
a small community of 35,000 people that live within the square mile, very high population density. And when COVID arrived, it spread to everyone immediately. And I found my practice, my little practice of used to see 50 patients a day, inundated with uh, over 250 patients. And there was no treatment at that time. The government was telling us, send people home, give them Tylenol. When they get sicker, send them to the hospital, they'll end up on a respirator and 80% were dying on the ventilators. So that didn't seem like a good idea to me. So just like three years before, I had to develop my own cancer treatment because nothing existed. I figured, well, why not innovate and find something to help my patients? These are people that I care about. These are people that I've cared about for two decades. And so I actually prayed uh, two o'clock in the morning. I couldn't sleep. You know, when people look at you and say, doctor, please help us. And, they, and you care about them and that you have nothing to offer them. It's a terrible feeling. It's, it's, so I just was studying what other countries have been doing. And it, something made sense to me that in South Korea, they were using hydroxychloroquine and, and, and zinc. And in France, in Marseille, France, they were using hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin. And I understood the mechanism of action of these drugs. And I, I, I said, you know, why don't we just combine the three of them May modify the dosing and see what happens. Why not? So this is battlefield medicine. You know, this is World War Three. The whole world is fighting the same virus. There's no uh, studies. There's nothing that I could rely upon. So what do you do? You innovate. They say necessity is the mother of all innovation. I had a necessity. I had to take care of my patients. I'm an outpatient doctor, meaning pre-hospital doctor. My job is to keep people out of the hospital. That's what I've always done yeah. 20 years in every other aspect of medicine. So why would I allow my patients to go home and just get sicker? It didn't make sense. So uh, since I understood the virology, I understood that this virus is an RNA virus that uses a certain pathway for viral replication. And I found out that zinc inhibits that process. So zinc was the bullet. And I said, okay, but there was a problem with zinc. It didn't get into the cell due to biochemical reasons. And so it was having like a bullet without a gun. So I needed a gun. And it turned out that hydroxychloroquine is a zinc delivery system. It's a zinc ionophore. It, it lets um, uh, zinc go from outside the cell to inside the cell. And by doing that, we were able to inhibit the RNA-dependent RNA polymerase. It's just an enzyme that all the COVID strains were using to uh, use to make copies of themselves. And I shut down viral replication. So in other words, zinc was able to get to the right place at the right time and stop the virus from making copies of itself. Mm. So that was the mechanism of action. It was theoretical, but I deployed it. And I also didn't treat everyone. I, I treated the high risk patients. And the way I found out who was high risk, I just called the ICU near me and I asked the doctor there who, mm. who, who mm. is dying. And they said to me, well, the old people and the people with chronic illnesses. I said, how about the younger people? They said, we're not seeing them in the ICU. So right away, I knew that this virus doesn't kill equally. So I didn't have any resources. Half my staff was sick. The outpatient services like blood draw and radiology were closed. The hospitals were near capacity. So I, I was like walking through my, my office. It was like a bomb went off, a mass casualty event people all over. And so I had to triage, I had to make decisions who did the who who would get my attention, and who is low risk enough that I could send them home. So I, I basically sent home everyone who wasn't dying and who was young, <laughs> and left the older mm. patients or those that had with chronic, chronic medical problems. And I started treating them immediately. I didn't wait for the results of tests. The test took a week to get back. If I would wait a week, by the time the test result came back, the patient was dead. So instead of, I, I did the test, but I wouldn't wait to treat. I used my head and said, well, you know, the whole community has COVID. There's no flu. They have all the symptoms. They've been exposed. This person has COVID until proven otherwise. And I would treat them immediately within the first few days of the onset of symptoms. From the moment I did that, people stopped going to the hospital and dying. So initially, I didn't believe it. <laughs> I thought it was a fluke mm. or I couldn't believe, 
But after 50 patients or so, I realized that I stumbled across, or God gave a gift of something that is a potential answer to a global problem that has no treatment. Look, COVID is two diseases. It is the viral infection phase, which is lasts around five days, six days. And then the immune reaction, your body's immune system goes on overdrive and it's the body's immune reaction that kills the person. It destroys the lungs and causes blood clots. But the immune reaction does not start until a week, six to seven days into the illness. So the key is to destroy the virus before then so that the immune reaction, so that the monster doesn't wake up. We have a latent monster inside us, the immune system in this particular case, and it's ready to destroy the person. And it takes around a week to wake up. So if we could treat this infection within the first few days, it never wakes up. No problem. Mm. Patients get better. Now, the elephant in the room is the amount of negative press, as you are well aware, surrounding uh, hydroxychloroquine. I mean, Donald Trump, he spoke very highly of it. And funnily enough, he took your treatment, didn't he? As well as a bunch of people in the White House. Yeah, I ended up treating most of them. What, what happened was that I had made a video uh, addressed to the president telling, I, I felt like a frontline soldier that found an important enemy map. I needed to get it to the five-star general immediately. Didn't have time to go through the chain of command. So I made a video and I was addressed to the president. And the next day, his chief of staff, Mark Meadows, calls me on my cell phone. I'm not, I wouldn't believe it unless it happened to me, but that's what happened. And then. Uh, I told them what I was doing. They were interested. A few days later, the commissioner of the FDA is calling me on my cell phone. Stephen <laughs> Hahn. And then, uh, because no one knew what to do. Don't you understand? At that time, yeah, I wasn't saying my treatment is the best treatment. I was saying it's the only treatment. So, <laughs> so people were looking for solutions. Yeah. And so then he referred me to the NIH, which was a dead end. Then they weren't interested. And then Rudy Giuliani called me, and I ended up doing a, a podcast with Rudy. I became my good friend, and millions of people saw it. And from that podcast, my life has never been the same again. Um, so that's how people got to know me. And I ended up advising governments and hospital systems and thousands of other physicians. Um, so I also sent a letter to the president after a few hundred patients summarizing my experience of making my recommendations. And I, I didn't know if the president got it or not until there was a news conference where President Trump announces to the world that he's taking hydroxychloroquine. And he says, yeah, I got a letter from a New York, upstate New York doctor, and he was telling me this and this and this. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> How did you <laughs> so feel? Actually influenced the president of the United States. So that was pretty cool. And so that's how I got involved. But to understand the essence of the problem, we need to understand the essence of the problem mm. and everything else will make sense. So if I would have told you 18 months ago that COVID-19 is an artificially made bioweapon, I would immediately be labeled a conspiracy theorist. Yes. Now, even the liberal media admits that this is an artificially made bioweapon. It's a conspiracy, yes. it's just not a theory. It's a conspiracy to commit mass murder and genocide. And to tell you to what degree of resolution we know things. So, for example, I can tell you like this. In 1999, Dr. Ralph Barrett from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill modified a surface protein on a bat coronavirus and made it be able to infect human beings. And he has a patent number associated with that modification. And then it became this type of research became illegal in America. It was outsourced by Fauci and, and the NIH to Wuhan. And in 2005 or so, they were able to augment the lethality of this virus so that it, it, it could destroy human lungs and cause blood clots. And we know the patent numbers associated with those changes. So no one's denying that this is a artificially made bioweapon. So, okay, so now you have to understand why is there such opposition to the treatment of it in the pre-hospital setting? Because mm. what is the real desired goal of this bioweapon? It's not to kill everyone. 
it's to scare everyone. Yeah. And if you studied psychological warfare, which I have, if you use fear, prolonged fear and isolation, lockdown, what you do is you psychologically destroy the person. Most people will decompensate. And then you dangle a false promise yeah. like a vaccine. And because you're living in such chronic pain and fear, you will gravitate, not intellectually, towards something that anything that will alleviate that emotional pain that you're in. Yeah. Now, that explains why people get so belligerent if you challenge them. Because if you challenge someone's narrative that they bought into, what you're really doing is bringing them back into that anxiety state, and they, it causes so much pain, they can't stand it. So you can't reason with them. It's, not a re, it's, it's a super rational transformation. Of, it's a way of enslaving people. Now, the problem with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, for example, is that they work. And since they work, what that means is that it could reduce the amount of anxiety and fear in the world, which is contrary to the whole point of the bioweapon. Yeah. It's a weapon against the bioweapon. So you have to ask yourself, why was this released? Why was this bioweapon made? Why is there such a uh, effort? Sorry. Why is there such a global coordinated attempt to maintain global fear? And there is an answer. Um, in 2015, by the way, I, I have a disclaimer. I want no one to believe me. Please do not believe anything that I'm saying. But you could take the information that I am giving you. I'm giving you very specific information and go do your due diligence. Do your research. Don't make the same mistake that you did with the governments with me. Don't buy into my narrative, but at least listen. And then go and look into it, do your research, do your due diligence, your, use your brain, and then come to a conclusion. And whatever that conclusion is, it's yours. But the point is, hear the other side. Mm. So anyway, so with that disclaimer, I'm going to say that in 2015, you can Google Bill Gates' TED lecture. So this sociopath... I saw it. I saw it. So this sociopath calls for the reduction of the world population because of global warming. Okay, so first of all, what kind of human being uh, feels entitled um, to decide how many people should live on the planet or not? Mm. So that's someone who doesn't believe in, in the divine nature of humanity. That's someone who believes that uh, eugenics or, or, or survival of the fittest or, or the uh, godless version of our lives. But anyway, I have a good joke for you, by the way. A child goes to his mother and says, uh, uh, where do we come from? So the mother says, well, we're made in the image of God. And then the child goes to the father and says, where do we come from? And the father says, we evolved from monkeys. So the child is confused. So he goes back to the mother and looks for an explanation. So the mother says, it's not a contradiction. That's my side of the family. That's his side of the family. So, so Bill Gates belongs and that group of people belong to the monkey side of humanity, whereas uh, most humanity belongs to the, uh, the way made in the image of God department. Now, since they think they're the biggest monkey, they think they're on top of the food chain, that they can do whatever they want with us. So here, here I'm going to ask you a question. Mm. The same sociopath, I'm picking on him, but he's, he's just representative of a of a mentality. Yeah. Uh, last year said that 7 billion people need to be vaccinated. So one simple question. Why would I take a vaccine supported and funded by someone for my health, a vaccine for my health, supported by someone who wants to reduce the world population? It makes no sense. Okay. So if I evaluate any treatment, any vaccine, anything I do to someone, I, I do a risk versus benefit analysis. If what, what I'm going to do may be risky, but does the benefit outweigh the risk? Otherwise, why would I do it? So to, to understand if something is beneficial, you need to assess three things, whether you need it, medical necessity, 
You know, a surgeon who operates on everyone is not a surgeon. He's a butcher. He's not using medical judgment. Just because someone came to your office doesn't mean you have to cut him. There has to be a need for it, a reason for it. The real surgeons know when not to cut. A real doctor knows when not to do something. So necessity, does it work? Efficacy, that would be useful, right? If I'm going to do something to someone, it better work. And is it safe? Mm. So if you analyze these vaccines from that perspective, and I can I can do that for you. I don't know how much time we have. No, but, please. Uh, I've got all the time. All right. So let's look at medical necessity. Uh, 18 and under healthy children have a 99.998% survival rate, according to the CDC, with no treatment from COVID. Why would I immunize a group, uh, a demographic that has a near 100% chance of recovery with no treatment with an experimental substance of questionable efficacy and known danger? The answer is I wouldn't, unless I believed in child sacrifice. Yeah, exactly right. But sorry, 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 Doc, Doc, the media keeps pushing out a different story. So the question is, who do you believe? Well, uh, you can look at the CDC and see the survival rate of COVID-19. That's a matter of fact. I mean, I could look at the day outside right now and say it's night. doesn't mean it's true. Mm. So the the media is uh, as a tool of the fear, maintaining the fear. So getting back to to my point, uh, which was that, yeah, the young demographic has has a 100% survival, essentially. So why would I do something that would threaten that demographic? If you look at Dr. Michael Yudin, who was the head of Pfizer, Vice President of Pfizer. Yeah, he was on my podcast also. So you know what he says? The guy is the world expert in vaccine development. Mm. And he did his statistical analysis and he said the following. And he said this to me directly because I, I'm friends with him and I called him up. And he said, for every one child that dies from COVID naturally, a hundred will die from the vaccine. That is not something I want to hear, Doc. It's not about what you want to hear or don't want to hear. It's about the truth. I don't want to hear it either, but uh, it's not going to help the children that are going to be sacrificed. Let me ask you a question. What's the difference if I take a child, uh, let's say a five-year-old, and cut its throat or throw this child off a cliff or into a volcano or whatever, or inject them with something that they don't need because they're going to get better anyway, and it has a 100 to 1 kill ratio? Yo, no, this... Um, um, so, okay, I'm not finished. Now, if we look at 18 to 45, meaning healthy adults, so the survival benefit there is, according to the CDC, is 99.95%. With treatment, it's near 100%. So the same question, why would I vaccinate a demographic of healthy adults with something that against the virus that they're going to get better from and with something that may kill them. It just doesn't make sense. And just yesterday was published multiple studies that proved what we all knew anyway, that natural immunity is multiple, many, many times better than vaccine-induced immunity, which means anyone who had COVID already and has antibodies have superior antibodies. So why would I inject in them a liquid that makes inferior antibodies and puts them at risk. There's no medical just there's no medical necessity there. Okay, now let's get to the problematic group. The high risk group, 45 and over, or those that have medical problems, have a death rate globally of 7.5 percent. That's unacceptable. That that is a, a huge number of dead people. However, if you treat them properly, all the data, all the clinical trials or the peer-reviewed studies, there are dozens of them have corroborated my initial observations, which I had published in a peer-reviewed international journal, that if you treat people properly, you reduce the death rate and hospitalization rate by 85%. So just to explain what that actually means, out of 600,000 dead Americans, we could have prevented 510,000 from going to the hospital. So I can reduce that death rate 
from 7.5% to around 1%. So now comes a good question. If we have something that which treatment has a 1% death rate in a, sub, in, a sub, in a small demographic of high-risk patients, perhaps it's better to vaccinate than let them get sick. We have to, we have, it's, a, it's a good, it's a thought, it's a question. I'm not denying it. By the way, if there were good, effective and safe COVID-19 vaccines, I would, I would recommend them. I'm not against the vaccines. I'm against being stupid. And so let's look if these vaccines have, if they work. The three most vaccinated countries in the, in the world, Israel, Gibraltar, and in the Indian Ocean, there's an island nation called Seychelles. They all have more than 80% vaccination rates. All the countries are experiencing massive outbreaks of Delta variant. The CDC director, I think Wisnowski, whatever her name is, uh, said two days ago that it seems, according to the Israeli data, anyone who was vaccinated early has a higher risk to end up in the, in the hospital, uh, in the ICU, and therefore you should take another shot. Why? I'll tell you why in a minute. But so, so it doesn't work, apparently. And now let's look at the safety concerns, which is really could keep us busy for the next hour. Um, let's divide safety concerns over time because they vary over time. So the first time period would be, let's say, from the moment of injection to three months. That'll be the acute uh, period. Then there's the subacute period uh, from three months to three years. And then there's the long term, more than three years. And I want to break it up in this way because it's important to understand the mechanisms of action. Mm. The my, Sorry, my kids are calling me. Um, from the moment of injection until three months, people are dying from blood clots. And we know exactly why. The Salk Institute from San Diego published a paper, a landmark paper a few months ago, explaining the mechanism. From the moment you're injected, your entire body becomes a spike factory, producing viral spike protein. Sorry, before you go on, can you just explain what that means? Because we keep hearing about that. Well, um, how, how do vaccines work? How, usually, I would give you a piece of a virus, let's say um, the flu virus. So I'll, I'll take a piece of it, not the whole living thing, although sometimes we do use living attenuated viruses, but in most cases, or polio, that's a better example. I take a dead polio virus and I inject it into you. Your immune system recognizes that it doesn't belong there. It mounts a immune response generating antibodies and now, if you ever come into contact with real polio, well, you're, the soldiers are ready to pounce and destroy it, and you, you don't get sick. That's how a normal, uh, traditional vaccine would work. These, quote-unquote, vaccines, which I call poison death shots, um, do, are completely different. They don't inject a piece of a virus at all. They inject a code a formula that converts your body into a factory that produces part of the virus and a very specific part of the virus. See, the virus, coronavirus, is basically a ball with thorns and it has these little uh, spikes. Let's call it the male organ. And, and in order to be able to get into the cell, it needs to attach to a receptor on the cell which is the female organ. So the spike itself goes and finds its uh, mate, and that allows the virus then to enter the cell. So the spike is what actually gets the virus inside the cell. So what we're doing is giving you a code in the form of mRNA, which is the code. Your body's uh, cellular metabolism, your, your body's own processes are hijacked to manufacture 
all these little spikes, not the whole virus, by the way, just these little spikes, trillions, hundreds of trillions of them. And it turns out that they migrate and end up in your blood vessels, lining the endothelium, which is the inner skin, the inner lining of the blood vessel. And it's supposed to be smooth, obviously, because you have a high rate of flow of blood cells. You yes, don't want I understand. Them to, you don't want them to bump into stuff and break. Yeah. The frat. All of a sudden, you just coated, lined, wallpapered the inner lining of every vessel in your body with thorns, little spikes. Okay. Yes. And and then the blood cells get damaged, and when they get damaged, they leak stuff. That sets off a reaction in the body to cause blood clots. So. The, the main cause of death in the first three months is blood clots in the form of heart attacks and strokes or anywhere else. Could be kidneys, lungs, could be uh, in your mesentery, your gut. So that's what we're seeing. And 40% of the deaths are happening within the first three days of injection. Now, what's the threshold of death? When do we say, you know, it's too risky, it's too much? In 1976, we had the swine flu vaccine. Um, it killed 26 people. The entire vaccine program was canceled. According to the United States government already, it's a, this is according to the government, there's 13,000 dead. According to the whistleblower from the CDC that wrote an affidavit, the number is 45,000. That's not enough? I'm telling you, in 2009, there was a, a study on, on the system used for reporting called VAERS, but only 1% of events are actually reported. Yo. Now, I can make an argument that maybe rashes are reported much less than death. Agreed. I'm not going to deny that. So what is the number? No one really took the time to figure it out. But, okay, it's not 1%. So I'll be very generous to VAERS. I'll, I'll give them a 20% reporting rate, and that's being generous. So what that means is that the number of deaths being reported, you have to multiply by a factor of five. So over 200,000. I, I think so. And there are two other problems with this system, which is that known reports are being scrubbed off the server. We have evidence of this. We have screenshots of reports that were there a few months ago. They no longer exist. You can't get them. And also, I have colleagues that are trying to file reports. They lost patients, and the system won't let them. It's rejecting their reports on technicalities. So if there's an obvious, and Senator Ron Johnson from Wisconsin is actually uh, doing an investigation to see w to what degree there's suppression and um, obstruction in the flow of true side effect information. So. That's a lot of death already. The other problem is inflammation of the hearts, called myocarditis, the damage of the hearts, seems of young men. Yeah. And, the, and the other problem is miscarriages in the first trimester. In women that have been vaccinated, there's a much increased rate of, of losing their babies. So that's pretty bad. Mm. Remember, this is something that doesn't work and you don't need it. And then let's go to the longer term consequences. Well, it's clear that the number of autoimmune diseases and cancers is going up. And there's enough data concern, smoke, to, to in, require further inquiry to see if these mRNA vaccines are actually causing it. Remember, it went from laboratory to human use in less than a year, when on average it takes 10 years to vet a vaccine. So it's not like we have long term studies. So you need to know what what's going to be in a few years so there is a concern already yeah of autoimmune diseases and cancer so that's going to affect lifespan and there's also a real concern there was a leaked study from pfizer that wasn't supposed to get out but someone leaked it from japan where it showed the when you inject it here where the vaccine actually ends up and a, the largest amount ends up in the ovaries 
So the question is, what is the long-term consequences on fertility? Yeah. That has not been that, that has not been ruled out. That has not been checked or assessed. Okay. Now, but that's everything I just said is nothing compared to what I'm about to tell you. Between three months and three years is a period where the world expert, the, the top minds in medicine and in science, are screaming, stop, you're going to cause a genocide. So, for, for example, remember, don't believe me. Dr. Luke Montague, he happened to win the Nobel Prize for HIV. For finding HIV, yeah. A pretty big boy. I wouldn't say he's a. Uh, he said like this. He's never seen anything like this, and th this vaccine program is the biggest threat to humanity in the history of humanity. Okay, then Dr. Dolores Cahill, mm. a top immunologist from Ireland, came out saying that within two years, she believes ninety percent of the people that got vaccinated will be dead. Now, wait, two that? years. Yeah, so maybe she's wrong. Maybe it's three years or four years, and maybe it's not ninety percent. What if it's five percent? Not enough. So she's raising a concern. Hold on. And then Dr. Robert Malone, who invented the mRNA vaccine technology, is telling people, "Don't take it. It's too dangerous. The government is lying to you." And the Dr. Michael Yudin that I mentioned is saying the same exact thing. What is the concern? Why are people going nuts about this? So here's the reason. In the 1960s, uh, an RSV vaccine was made, given to children that killed children. No one understood why until they figured out that the children developed antibodies to RSV. And then when they were exposed to RSV, there was a, uh, the immune system blew up. And it was the immune system that killed the child. What? The immune system? It's the child's immune system that killed the child. There was an overreaction. That's called antibody-dependent enhancement. It's not from the actual vaccine. What, what happens, listen again. They got the vaccine. They developed antibodies. Now you have these supposedly mm. protected antibodies. Then the RSV virus came, touched, became, came into contact with these antibodies, and there was an explosion, an unhealthy immune reaction. Not every part of your immune system is good for you. You heard of autoimmune diseases, mm. lupus, rheumatoid arthritis? That's your body's immune system attacking your body. That's not healthy. So it's not always that your immune system is good for you. So in this particular case, the, the antibodies that were produced by the vaccine triggered a reaction once coming into contact with the virus that killed the children. So in 1970s, there was something called the dengue fever virus vaccine. Um, same thing happened. They gave it to people, adults, they died. And it was the same exact mechanism of death called antibody-dependent enhancement. Um, in all the attempts to make coronavirus vaccines in the animal models, all of them manifested this reaction and killed a large percentage of the animals that, in other words, animals were vaccinated, uh, mice, ferrets, and they produced antibodies. And then they're purposely infected with the virus that they're immunized against. They're challenged to see if it works. And a large percentage of these animals die. Again, it's called antibody-dependent enhancement. So here's the question. Wouldn't it be a good idea to rule that out by human beings before you deploy a vaccine to 7 billion people? It sounds like an absolutely terrible idea. So why well, that's, did exa that, that, that's exactly what happened. So, uh, there's 2 billion people already immunized. 
there, there's been a deployment of, of a substance that has the potential to kill the organism that it's given to, and that potential has not been excluded, and there's a historical precedent for these things to happen, and it's being done to people that don't need the vaccine, and it doesn't even work. So I'm going to make it very simple. Um, this vaccine is being deployed not for medical reasons at all. So I already told you, look, it causes blood clots, inflammation of hearts, miscarriages, increased rates of cancer potentially, increased rates of autoimmune diseases, potential infertility, and the potential of this uh, autoimmune death process, that it's not me saying it. I'm nobody. There are world experts in the fields. You mean the guy who invented the vaccine that's not enough for you? Or the guy who ran Pfizer? Or the guy who won the Nobel Prize for finding HIV? That's not enough? These people, so what would be the normal rational thing to do would be, well, take a step back, let's test these more to see if they're safe. Forget about it. You don't even need it, but still. So do you see what's going on here? There is the suppression of life-saving medications. There's the suppression of the knowledge of life-saving treatments. Anyone who dares to say against the, the, the accepted narrative that the media is pumping is deplatformed. It could be the world expert who made the mRNA vaccine who says something against the policy of the government. He's immediately deplatformed from every social media site. Why is that? And then the actual uh, side effects of these vaccines are being artificially suppressed so that we don't know the truth. And no one really needs this vaccine because I explained to you. Mm. So what's going on here? I mean, Dr. Lee Merritt has said very much the same thing. Yeah. And Dr. Um, Peter McCullough. Yes, he's also said the same thing. So, so how, how, do you, how do you respond, Doc? What do you do in a situation now when you're hearing about the, the mandatory vaccines that are coming? And by the way, it's not just in, in the United States. Our own government is now talking about making these vaccines mandatory. Define mandatory. In other words, they're going to come down and hold you down and, and put a needle in your arm? I don't think that to that degree, but I think you won't be able to get employment. Uh, you won't be able to go into shops, etc., etc. I wouldn't worry about it. I'll tell you why. Because there'll be so many dead people, rotting corpses in the streets, that the Warsaw Ghetto will look like a kindergarten, and you'll have plenty of job openings if you're alive. <laughs> I've never heard that. <laughs> that is such a dark joke, but it's so true. <laughs> Look, I am not ready to sacrifice having a future for a few conveniences in the present. Sure. I rather sacrifice the present so that I have a future. And people have really messed up values. Oh, I can't fly in a plane, so I'll take the vaccine. Or, uh, you know, I'll lose my job or I won't be able to go to school. And I look at these people and say, well, you're making decisions on that will potentially affect your lifespan and you're doing it so willingly and blind. Why? And so people are so gullible. It's so easy to manipulate humanity. Is it, is it literally a life and death kind of scenario in your view? Absolutely, yes. We're in World War Three. And, uh, you know, if the Germans were bombing over your head, you wouldn't be asking that question. Right. But uh, the bombs that are being sent at us are invisible and sugar-coated. And, um, I mean, there's already hundreds of thousands of deaths from the vaccine. How much more death do you need to see before you say enough? Well, they'll say, they'll respond and say, yes, but it's not because of the vaccine. It's because of uh, other, other things. Well, they can say whatever they want. It's just not consistent with truth, not consistent with the data. 
and we know that COVID-19 is exceptionally treated. It's true that if there's a fire and I don't put it out, it's going to burn the house down. Mm -hmm. So you've set a lot of fires artificially. You go around and you set fire around the neighborhood, and then you tell people don't put it out, then the neighborhood burns down. Okay, mm -hmm. that's true, but doesn't mean you have to put gasoline on the fire either. So my my answer to you is. Uh, don't worry about the virus. Be prepared to deal with it. They're over-the-counter options, and you'll be fine. And don't buy into the false. Uh... Emma has got a question. She wants to know what are your thoughts on the Johnson and Johnson vaccine? Because as far as I'm, I'm, I'm aware, it's not mRNA. Yeah, it's worse. It's a DNA vaccine. In other words, the way it works is mRNA is limited to the cytoplasm of a cell, to the, let's call it the, your living room. It gets into your living room and it uses your television and it uh, makes copies using the equipment that's in your living room. Um, and those, those proteins that are made are, are what are potentially killing you. The Johnson & Johnson is a DNA vaccine and that gets into your bed where you are, lying there in your pajamas, and goes right into your core, into your essence, and, and makes messes with your DNA, and then becomes mRNA. And in other words, it's deeper penetrating. It's much worse. Mm. Well, that's it's like having someone, difference of like someone in your living room and someone in your bed. Johnson & Johnson gets into, your, in, into you real deep you know in texas they have a flag don't tread on me so i made a meme don't shed on me but uh <laughs> now i don't like shedding but it's not really a major problem for most people because what shedding is is in the first three months after you get vaccinated you're actually shedding the spikes and it comes through your breath uh the droplets it comes through your skin comes through all the bodily fluids now, most people, it's, it may mess up their periods, it may uh, make you feel not so well, but it's not enough of a dose to cause real problems, except in two categories of people. Someone who has a blood clotting predisposition, there are con conditions where people are more prone to blood clots. That could trigger blood clots because that's what the main concern is in the first few months. And then miscarriages. It seems to cause miscarriages in, you know, pregnant women. So if, if or women that want to get pregnant, it messes with their ability to get pregnant. So, but it, it's a short-lived problem. So it's not, it's a problem, but it's not a problem worth overemphasizing because there's a much bigger problem. She says, yeah, uh, especially around pregnant women. Yeah, so that, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, you don't know who's vaccinated, and it's again, if it's more than three months, they're no longer radioactive, you know. But you don't really know when and what, so that becomes a hard question. So, pregnant women have to be a little bit more isolated, in my opinion, if they want to protect their pregnancies. But the majority of people should not isolate themselves because of shit. Whenever I, I need inspiration, I look back into a bigger minds than me. And in the Psalms of David, King David writes the following, a very good prescription. Stay away from bad, do good, and live. So that's the prescription. So let's break that up. Stay away from bad. Do not give in to the fear. Do not isolate yourself. Do not take a poison death shot. And if you did already, don't do it again. Don't harm yourself. Do no harm. Don't destroy yourself psychologically, emotionally, and physically. Do good means that if you're in the high-risk category group, meaning anyone over the age of 45, or anyone with medical problems, or in my opinion, anyone who got the vaccine, you should take prophylaxis, preventive therapy. And preventive therapy doesn't mean to take another shot and make more bombs. Preventive therapy means that uh, to prevent the detonation of those bombs that already exist, 
by using antiviral drugs, um, and you can find them on my website, vladimirzelenkomd.com. I have protocols with dosing and everything for prescription and for over-the-counter options um, so that people could, could have them in their hands. But the, the idea is to uh, protect yourself in advance so that you, if you do con come into contact with the detonator and not the virus, you don't die. And if you do get sick, God forbid, you have to start treating day one. In other words, you don't want the monster to wake up. And then you'll live. It seems like this is way more than a medical a medical war that we're in. It seems like it's a psychological war, isn't it? A religious war, a spiritual war. I don't know what, but it's certainly it's more It's a war than... against God. There are two systems of thought that can't coexist anymore. There's a system that's based on, on God-centered consciousness, which means like this. Just follow the logic. If God makes you, that means you're alive your life has sanctity. If you, your life has sanctity, that means you have human rights. If you have human rights, then it's not in the realm of another human being to decide how long you should live and how many of us should be on the planet. It's God's department. There's another system which is completely godless. It's based on Darwin's theories and, and uh, uh, Galton, who developed eugenics. You know, they were... He was a nephew of Charles Darwin. And their system is the survival of the fittest, uh, fittest system. In other words, they believe that there's a hierarchy of humanity to be based on genetics or other factors. And it's the strongest on top of the food chain that will dictate what happens to everyone else. Now, this sounds like a fairy tale, except that it killed 200 million people 80 years ago. Because in, invariably, it deteriorates into three categories of human beings. The superhuman, the human, and the subhuman. So the Nazis, the Aryans, believed that they were descendants from Aryan gods, and therefore uh, felt entitled that they could enslave and murder anyone they wanted and wage global war. And the humans were the Anglo-Saxons, the Europeans that were meant to be enslaved and served the superhumans, and the subhumans that I belong to, the Jews, the Slavs, the Gypsies, handicapped and political people that oppose them politically, they're the subhumans that needed to be thrown into gas chambers and then into ovens and vaporized into, into dust. So, and this is not a fairy tale, this is history, recent history. So that mentality did not go away. That mentality went dormant for a bit, and now it's woken up but it's not anti-Semitic, actually. What it is is something else. On top, the superhuman is these, uh, what they perceive themselves as evolved, higher level of consciousness people that think that they know better for what the rest of us need and therefore can make policies that will control how many of us live and how long we live. In reality, these, not, these are not evolved people. These are devolved pagans. These are sociopaths. These are wannabe deities. These are just a biblical historical replay of maniacs that are denying the existence of God and believe in their own immortality. And what, what so look, who, who are they? Um, honestly speaking, 70% of all corporate wealth in the world is owned by 150 people. So I would suspect it's some, it's some, it's some people in that group, uh, and because they control media, politics, mm -hmm. academia. Um, and what are their policies? What do they want? And the real people who are doing this are too smart to be on, in the news. So it's not Fauci. It's not even uh, Soros or, or Gates or um, Schwab. Schwab. Because the... The people that are really doing it are really, really smart. And they hide themselves like layers of proxies to do their bidding. Why would I sacrifice myself? I'm too smart for that. But if you look at the World Economic Forum, which is 
a good example of uh, despotic thinking, tyrannical thinking. And they crafted the 2030 UN plan, which is being already implemented. And, you know, Hitler wrote Mein Kampf and wrote it many years before he took control. He laid out his plans. These people are not even hiding their agenda. So what is their agenda? Go look at the 2030 World Economic Forum plan and you'll, you'll see. You'll own nothing. And you'll be happy, yeah. What kind of sociopath, what kind of human being feels that they can decide whether you own property or not, yeah. possessions or not? <clears throat> what else did they say? Um, you, you won't eat meat except on special occasions. Uh, insects also. Um, oh, I didn't hear that one. Yeah. Um, they, what I, you won't use fossil fuels. America will no longer be a superpower. Mm. A few European countries will run the world. Um, there'll money be a billion will, refugees. Yeah, and money uh, will like, change too. So what you have are uh, uh, this guy Schwab um, said in 2016, it's on, uh, in an interview in French, that within 10 years, uh, by 2026, everyone will have a digital tag and identifier in them. You, you, you are really ruining my Friday evening, Doc. <laughs> you know, that's good because um, reality, you need a reality check and they need to be people that are willing to stand their ground and sacrifice even their own lives so that humanity's the soul of humanity is uh, remains because that's it's an attack on the core of what does it mean to be a human being and at the core of our souls and the core of our relationship with the creator and ultimately i think there's a divine test here mm. which is no one's making you take this you're choosing to do it there's no such thing you, you were forced because you could be pressured, you could be coerced, but you still have the ability to say no. Mm. And, if, and if you put your trust, if I was God, I'd be asking this following question. I know you're scared and the world is crazy, but who are you going to put your trust in? Me, who makes you? You're going to ask me to fill the, your anxiety space? Are you going to ask me for protection? Because I'll do it. Or are you going to go run to false gods, despotic governments, uh, sociopathic oligarchs, and the golden calf of this vaccine. Because if you are going to do that, then let them protect you. Let's see how that's going to work out. In front of you, Doc, there is a crystal ball. What do you see? I see a glorious future. I see a, we're in the cusp of a redemptive process where uh, there's going to be, people are going to self-select into um, God-conscious living versus idolatry. And then I believe what the prophets say, not me, that the spirit of iniquity will be removed from the earth. God will take out his big broom, clean out the garbage, and then the world will be filled with the knowledge and glory of God. I think, I think that God has had enough of uh, people who, for example, if these despots had their way, a 30-year-old man who thinks he's a woman would be sharing a bathroom with my four-year-old daughter. It's unreal. So this type of erosion, you know, in the Bible it says that Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. The, the Talmud asks why. So one suggestion is because of immorality. And the answer is no, the whole world was, was immoral. Why was so special about them that they were singled out? You know what the answer is? That they codified it into law. It became the law of the land. Immorality became codified as the norm. That's what's happening now. You think? Why do you think I'm telling you this? So I, I think that uh, we're on a glorious journey that there's going to be a transformation. It's going to be bumpy, be some turbulence. Um, but at the end, uh, the world will be cleaned up, just like the flood, and will be left with, with, with people 
that want to live a God-centered moral life. Yes. I'm not afraid of dying. It's not my department, you know. How I'm going to die, how long I'm going to live, no one knows. And it's ultimately in God's hands, and he can do whatever he wants. What I am afraid of is living. In other words, am I living to my fullest potential? When I have to stand before the king of kings and give a, an accounting, uh, he's not going to ask me why I wasn't like you. He's going to ask me, why weren't you like you could have been? Me, Zabzalenko. Why didn't you reach the potential that I had for you? And so I want to use my thoughts, which I can control, my speech and my actions, which I can control, and my time. I want to use that in a, uh, a way that makes the world cleaner and better and healthier and more godly and beautiful. Um, I think that's a worthy... Uh, worthy of my time and efforts. And that's what I focus on. And that's what I try to um, do. And that's why I'm talking to you. I've been waiting for 30 minutes to, to say what I'm about to say, but you are making medicine great again. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. It's been an, a great pleasure. God bless you. Thank you. You too. Thank you, man. My name is Jim. This is Jim Wolfe. Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.